As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Everybody and welcome in to the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast and the Athletic Football Show. Our happy Friday marriage continues on into week 13. I am Michael Beller. I am joined for the first part of this show as I am every single Friday by Derek Van Riper. DVR, we have made it to week 13 and just like that, it's the weekend, right? It's like, boom, week 13, boom, weekend. We don't usually get to turn the calendar over that quickly. So in some ways, it's sort of fun that week 12 dragged on for as long as it did. How you doing? I'm doing well. If I live another 70 years, <laughs> I hope I never see another week like week 12 mm-hmm. of the NFL season ever again. Yes, me I, too. I could die a happy man okay. 70 years from now if we never repeat what we just had in the NFL. Seven years? You'll be 106. You'll have a nice, long, healthy life there, Derek. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what What on earth will life actually be like here in 70 years? I don't think I want to go 70 more years. That might be a little too far. Yeah. Well, either way, I'm, I'm sure that we will we'll all agree with you that uh, no more no more NFL weeks quite like week 12 of the 2020 season. I think we would all be happy with that. We'll all be happy if we can uh, turn our uh, week 13 into some successful DFS play. So let's start taking a look at that. It's an interesting slate on the main slate, at least. Uh, The highest scoring game, the highest over-under game, I should say, is Cleveland and Tennessee, 53.5 there. Then you've got Jacksonville and Minnesota at 52. Indy and Houston checking in at 51. That Cleveland-Tennessee game, that's the interesting one to me because it's two teams that run the ball a lot but still uh, can put some points on the board. And Tennessee favored by 5.5 at home, so not necessarily one where anyone's expecting a runaway, unlike Jacksonville and Minnesota where the over-under is 52, but the Vikings are favored by 10 points. I feel like Cleveland and Tennessee is a game where I'm going to be hunting for some investment this week. Yeah, and it's it's strange because of the makeup of those teams like you mentioned, but as you start looking at projections and expectations in terms of usage for tournaments, there are some interesting opportunities. Of course, Derrick Henry draws most of the interest in the Titans offense, but a nice low price on Corey Davis could make him pretty popular this week. Those are just two teams that people, at least in their heads, don't expect to see in the middle of a shootout, but the Titans have been mentioned on this show almost every week this season as a team that 
I think is a bit sneaky offensively. They support a wider offensive tree than we expected coming into the season. Corey Davis getting in on that sometimes. Johnny Smith getting in on that at times. You know, Ryan Tannehill uh, was backing up what he did a season ago in Tennessee and showing us that it wasn't a complete fluke, right? So I do think you look at the Titans now and you have a little more confidence when you see an implied total in the 28-29 range. You feel more confident they're actually going to get there. Yeah, you really do, and uh, we're going to be talking about plenty of players on both sides of that game. We can start right off the top at the running back position with Derrick Henry. A simple question here, Derek. Are you willing to pay for either him at 9200 or Dalvin Cook at 9500 Are you trying to find ways to get one of those two guys into your lineup as the centerpiece? I am. Uh, I think it's interesting that you know when Cook's only $300 more, there are projections that have him uh, five points higher than Derrick Henry for this week. It's a pretty big gap for $300. I mean, it puts Cook kind of in a tier of his own, but mm-hmm. I think the concern we have is if that game gets out of hand, Delvin Cook might get some rest. He's got that ankle injury that has been limiting him in practice so far this week. I'm not necessarily concerned they're limiting him in practice. I think that's what a team does with a star player uh, early in the week. I'm just concerned that Jacksonville can't do enough offensively to force the Vikings to keep using Dalvin Cook. You know, they can build up a lead, turn to Alexander Madison at some point in the second half, and suddenly we have a 20-touch game from Dalvin Cook instead of a 30-touch game. But if they're going to get to that situation where they're holding a two-TD lead in the second half, there's a very good chance Dalvin Cook is part of the reason why they're there, right? He's getting over five yards per carry. He's heavily involved in the passing game. So it could be... 20 touches instead of 30, but it might be six or seven yards a carry. It could be that good with a couple of scores. If he does that, you're fine at 9,500. So I look at Cook as still the better cash game play given the difference in their projections. And I do think Henry becomes an interesting pivot if you want to spend up at running back, but you want to do it in tournaments. Obviously, he doesn't catch passes quite the same way Cook does. That's why that projection is quite a bit different. But I'm seeing a projected usage of 7% on Henry on Roto-Grinders compared to 30% for Delvin Cook. So, you know, you can play Cook in a tournament and get differentiation elsewhere in your lineup, but you can get that differentiation immediately and just pivot at the price point by playing Henry instead. Let's look at those two guys in conjunction with the top wide receivers. You've got Devontae Adams at $9,000 and then DK Metcalf at 8200 Keenan Allen at 8100 It's going to be pretty hard to have two of those players in your lineup, even if you went with the cheaper ones, even if you went with Henry and Keenan Allen. You're talking about $17,300 on just two players. You would obviously be scooping up a lot of low-priced guys at other positions. So if you could only have one of these backs or one of those receivers, is it a pretty easy decision? decision for you to fade the receivers I think in cash games it's still cook overall for me Mm -hmm. I think in tournaments I'm more inclined to build a Devontae Adams lineup than I am to build a Derrick Henry lineup even though I understand mathematically why Henry is appealing at the price in these circumstances but because I can only get one of these guys into most of my builds and that assumes that we're not going to get the same flood of weekend value unlocked with Mm -hmm a busy, busy Saturday of surprise injury news that creates a bunch of near-min players that you can actually use. Uh, Adams, to me, is is really interesting because the Packers just don't have a true number two. Even with Alan Lazard back, they spread the ball around so much that you know, you're not looking at anyone as a threat to his targets in any given week. 
The implied total is close to 28 points, and it's an Eagles defense that, you know, it's middle of the road in terms of what they allow to wide receivers. So you're not really giving up anything matchup-wise either. I think saving a couple hundred bucks off of the price of Cook and even a couple hundred off the price of Henry is also appealing with the Devontae Adams angle as well. So for tournament purposes, I think I'm locking him in first out of those three $9,000 players. All right, you mentioned uh, in our show sheet here that uh, we should get ready for David Montgomery Chalk Week. And uh, I mean, I understand why $5,500, a fine matchup with the Detroit Lions and volume is always going to be there for David Montgomery. But I think I'm on the same page when I say that I am very, very comfortable fading that chalk. I just I just don't trust him or the Bears offense. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. And even though I get the logic behind it, I just really don't want to get in on David Montgomery basically full stop. And then especially if he is going to be among the chalkiest plays of the week. I think there are plenty of pivots where you can find yourself not only just a differentiation point, but potentially just a better player, period. Yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to find $800 somewhere else, uh, maybe taking slight downgrades somewhere else in my lineup and using that difference to get to Chris Carson because I trust Seattle's offense so much more than I trust the Bears. But this is all about volume, right? I mean, David Montgomery at 5,500 in the most favorable matchup that a running back can have is hard to pass up when you consider that David Montgomery gets all of the touches in that backfield. You get the occasional Corderell Patterson play, but there is not a backup running back pushing him for carries. There is not a pass-catching specialist getting on the field. It's David Montgomery time after time after time. I think this is basically like the situation we have in Houston with David Johnson. You don't expect efficiency to be there, uh, but he basically doesn't come off the field. And the key difference for me between Montgomery and David Johnson is that David Johnson has to deal with Duke Johnson, right? And right. ordinarily, if, Ty- if Tariq Cohen were healthy, that would be the the similarity. But ever since Cohen went down, the Bears have been a lot more aggressive in using Montgomery in passing situations. I mean, look at the targets. David Montgomery hasn't had fewer than three targets in a game this season. He's had five or more in all but one of his last seven contests. So that just brings his volume floor to a crazy high level. We're going to have the same problem again in Week 14 when the Bears play the Texans because they're the second easiest matchup for (laughs) opposing running backs. The price might be a little higher, uh, but I think I'm less inclined to fade David Montgomery than you are. Uh, I do think you could... Again, try and get to Chris Carson if you're really worried about it because I think the other backs that are a couple hundred dollars more expensive than Montgomery in the sub-6K range bring just as much, if not more, risk than Montgomery does. All right, let's throw out someone else who we talk about in this space quite a bit, Jonathan Taylor, $5,700. He is someone who I am very happy to bite on this week. I know we're always going to have to uh, do what we can to get inside Frank Reich's head and hope for the best, but you go back to the last time we saw Jonathan Taylor, he was clearly in command of the Colts' backfield, 22 carries for 90 yards, four targets, caught them all off 24 yards in that game against the Packers. Neither Jordan Wilkins nor Naeem Hines did anything to distinguish himself a week ago, and even though that was a game where the Titans were comfortably ahead uh, really early on in the game and didn't necessarily lend itself to either of those guys getting going on the ground. I think we see a really nice game for Jonathan Taylor at 5,700. I think he's an easy guy to pair with one of the two high-priced guys. Or if you want to go to uh, Nick Chubb at $7,700, Austin Eckler at $7,100. I think Jonathan Taylor is a guy who gives you a lot of options this week. 
I think it's fair to say Jonathan Taylor clearly tournaments only. There's mm-hmm. definitely sure, not sure. enough of a, a steady roll from him to this point where you could trust him in cash games. But I was just talking about the Texans being a soft matchup you know, next week for David Montgomery. Well, that's the opponent this week mm-hmm. uh, for Jonathan Taylor. So I, I see the appeal. Uh, I'm not building a whole bunch of Jonathan Taylor lineups, but I, I think if I think about how I want to attack the Colts offense from a DFS perspective, it's either Pittman or Taylor. That's it. There's nobody else that I'm throwing darts at right now, even though Trey Burton is finding the end zone enough to drive us all kind of crazy. Uh, let's move things over to the wide receiver position here. We already talked about uh, the high price guys, or at least we mentioned them in reference to the running backs. We've got Devontae Adams at 9K, DK's at 8,200, Keenan Allen's at 8,100, DeAndre Hopkins, 78, AJ Brown, 76, Tyler Lockett, 74, Adam Thielen, 73, and so on and so on and so on. I want to ask you about these uh, Minnesota Vikings because they've got that matchup with Jacksonville we talk about. We talk about Dalvin Cook um, probably fueling a the sort of lead that would then push him out of the game. Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, meanwhile, you would think would be on the field the whole time and also could fuel that sort of game. So Thielen at 7,300, Justin Jefferson at 6,900 in this matchup with the Jacksonville defense that really can't stop anyone on the ground or through the air. Basically, I'm up one of them. You know, I, I, it's almost like I'm going to build a lineup and then see how much I have left over. And if I can get to Thielen, I'll go Thielen. If I can only get to Jefferson, I'll go Jefferson. But I really want one of these Minnesota guys in my lineup because I think that they are really just going to take care of business in a big way against the Jaguars. Are you comfortable using one of the Minnesota receivers in a lineup that also has Dalvin Cook in it? I think yes, but I think that that would then start to get into uh, one of those tough build situations because you're still talking about spending, even if it's um, even if it's Justin Jefferson, you're up over, what, 16K or right at 16K with just two players. So it starts to get to a point where it feels as though you're going to be sacrificing a lot elsewhere, and I would rather go with a different running back. But I think that like them being on the same team is no reason to run away from having both of them. Yeah, I think it's still a little more of a cash Mm-hmm. lean for me than a tournament lean because I want to have uh, more in the passing game even though Cook is involved in that regard but yeah the money aspect is certainly a concern I do think we're looking at Brandon Cooks this week as a receiver who basically is the David Montgomery sure. of receivers because yeah. he's underpriced factoring in Will Fuller's suspension targets are going to go up but by how much I mean I think that's a, a reasonable question to ask even if he were just priced at 5600 and Will Fuller were playing Brandon Cooks would be interesting in this matchup. It's just not an obvious must-play sort of situation. And I think the key here is when you look at the other receivers in that range, Jacoby Myers, someone who I generally like, you know, 5,500, definitely has more week-to-week variants, uh, a lot less faith, I think, right now for me in Cam Newton in that Patriots passing game than what we have in Deshaun Watson and the Texans passing game. I think I mentioned Corey Davis a little earlier at 5,100. He's works but he's the clear number two in that passing game whereas Cooks is the number one so uh, I think Cooks is kind of a, a lock for cash games I think you can easily start to find paths away from him in GPPs you're not gonna live to regret that in I guess the way I want to say it is you don't have to have him to win a tournament right. obviously um, and I think there's about an equal amount of risk with Cooks as there actually is with David Montgomery getting a lot of volume and 
doing less than we hope with it. So I think that's why those guys are are so similar in my mind this week, even though obviously they're at different positions. Yeah, you know, someone who I uh, uh, who is pretty much a lock for me this week is Allen Robinson. And you can have all the David Montgomery you want. If I'm going to have a bear in my lineups, I think it's going to be Allen Robinson. The volume for him, we know it's just it's just not a problem. I mean, nine or more targets, Derek, in five, six, seven, eight, nine games this season. I mean, it's going to be there. He's going to get nine, ten looks from Mitch Trubisky. And Mitch Trubisky has never fallen short of giving him at least nine looks in his starts. And last week, you know, that was an ugly, ugly game for the Bears. There's no way to spin that. From a real-life perspective, they look terrible in that loss to the Packers. But you come out of it, and Allen Robinson has eight catches for 74 yards and two touchdowns. And that is always – that volume is always going to be there for him. $6,700 is the price tag. A Detroit team that really doesn't scare you. A Detroit team that you go back to week one he had five grabs on nine targets for 74 yards against and hey playing at home the Bears are favored in this game so it may not be one that is as ugly as it was last week for the Bears I think Allen Robinson is just significantly underpriced this week right I think if you have a lot of people going after Montgomery you're getting leverage on the Montgomery lineups by going to Robinson he'll probably be used less than half as often maybe even a third as often as David Montgomery based on how things are are tracking right now so that totally makes sense you know we've seen over the course of his career quarterback play just doesn't hinder him all that much Uh, the matchup's not a bad one against the Lions so no problems at all with that and I think you could probably say with the price on Delvin Cook this week you could look at Allen Robinson at 6700 and say that's my price ceiling at wide receiver in a lot of my builds, you might not be able to get up to the 7K receivers, but you might not have to because of some of the savings we're seeing around, you know, both running back and receiver to this point. You were moving on to quarterbacks next, but uh, there's a quarterback receiver combo that has uh, come up short uh, over the last couple of weeks. One that we were leaning on quite a bit earlier in the season, and it's DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray. $7,800 is the price tag on DeAndre Hopkins, so he's right up there with the uh, with the uh, you know the guys who have been delivering week after week. DK Metcalf, no concerns there. Keenan Allen, no concerns there. Next highest price guy is DeAndre Hopkins. Got to pay more for him than you do for uh, A.J. Brown or Adam Thielen or throw it over to Nick Chubb at the running back position. This is a very tough matchup with the uh, L.A. Rams coming to town to take on the Cardinals. I think you can make the argument that this sort of defense, the way that it is built, is the worst sort of defense for Kyler Murray to see. I think this is a pretty easy week to fade Hopkins, fade Murray, fade this entire team. Yeah, I kind of look at them as big field tournament darts only because they're going to be very sparingly used. Um, You're not getting that much of a discount on Hopkins, even though he could cost 8K plus in a good matchup week. You're still paying a lot to get to Murray. Uh, Maybe you throw him in as part of a stack with Kirk and run it back with one of the Rams, but you know you're taking on a lot of risk. That is not an easy matchup. That was, uh, I think, a pretty fluky performance from the Rams defense with Debo Samuel tearing them up last week. I think they're going to bounce back in a pretty big way. Uh, So I think you're right. This is generally a stay away sort of situation outside of your biggest field tournaments where you really want to just do something that's very different with your stacks. It's not something that we have said often, but with the way that that offense has sputtered recently and then getting this matchup on top of it, a Rams defense that is playing some of the best football it has played this season, definitely a good week to stay away from DeAndre Hopkins. From Kyler Murray, let someone else beat you with them, but feels like a bad week to get invested in that team. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Derek, let's do it. Let's talk about this quarterback position. If you are going to pay up, I want to start with these top guys. If you are going to pay up, if you have the money, if you have found enough savings to pay for one of the top five quarterbacks, and those top five quarterbacks are... Russell Wilson, 7,700. Kyler Murray, 7,600. Deshaun Watson, 7,500. Justin Herbert, 6,900. Aaron Rodgers, 6,800. Who's it going to be and why? I think it's got to be Rodgers, partially because you're paying the least out of the group. Uh, But when you look at the projections, he's not far off what Wilson and Watson are expected to do. Only about two to three points below Russell Wilson this week. The Packers have an implied total right around the same number. They're at 27 and change. Seahawks right now are at 28 and change. And we know with Aaron Rodgers, they'll they'll throw the ball inside the five-yard line. So it's not like they just become a running team in close. And that bodes really well for kind of boosting that ceiling as well. So I think you have tournament-winning ceiling with Aaron Rodgers based on the way that offense functions. Interesting to see that he's got a 5% projected ownership rate this week that is pretty low for how well he's played and for the price I wouldn't be surprised if that actually ticked up as we get closer to Sunday but when you see Taysom Hill at 6300 don't you just want to find $500 to get to Rogers instead to not deal with the headache of Hill absolutely I do first of all uh, Aaron Rodgers has six one-yard touchdown passes this season. He's got a seventh from two yards. So very clearly, they're not afraid to throw it uh, from that range. He's got one, two more from three yards. So, I mean, they're going to throw, throw, throw this team, really no matter where they are in the field. And not only do I want to find that extra couple of hundred dollars to get from Taysom Hill to Aaron Rodgers, but I want no part of Taysom Hill this week. Uh, I just feel like an Atlanta defense that has been playing a little bit better of late, getting their second look at him in three weeks, I think this could be a bad spot for Taysom Hill. I want absolutely no part of that. I'm going Aaron Rodgers if I've got the money to spend for it, or I'm looking down to you know, maybe Kirk Cousins at 6,400, maybe Brian Tannehill at 6,200. I actually think Ryan Tannehill is another interesting way to get invested in Cleveland and Tennessee because he's just hyper-efficient this year, and he's probably not going to go out and roll up 350 yards against the Browns. That's just not the way that this offense runs, but I don't think any of us would be surprised if he rolled up 243 yards and three touchdowns, and that's just how efficient he has been and the sort of opportunities that are presented to you when you play against this Browns defense. So Brian Tannehill, one of my favorite plays to go to if I reach beyond that uh, that expensive group of guys. Yeah, he's definitely interesting and, I mean, again, leverage off of yep. Henry lineups, yep. even though Henry's not going to be crazy high usage. Uh, I do think, you know, pairing Tannehill with Corey Davis makes sense. I think the problem is I want to get to A.J. Brown, but mm-hmm. 7,600 is steep. Uh, makes him appealing in tournaments, but I don't know if he fits as part of a Ryan Tannehill Titan stack. I don't know if that actually works for me this week based on how the rest of the lineup has to come together. Uh, but I think if you're going to go cheap at quarterback, mm-hmm. are you limited to doing that only in tournaments at this point? I feel like the floor from cash game quarterbacks is higher than it's ever been, and your sub-6K quarterbacks just don't get there 
easily enough. I mean, the guy that I like for tournament purposes is Derek Carr. He let us down in a big way in a cake matchup against the Falcons. Just an absolute dumpster fire day <laughs> for the Raiders. Nothing is better in terms of a get-well matchup than the Jets, the only drawback, and we've talked about this throughout the week, the only drawback is having to go back across the country yeah. again to play that game on the road. But at 5,800, do you think Derek Carr brings enough ceiling to actually use him in tournaments this week? I think he does. It's the ceiling that scares me, though. I mean, the Raiders have had some really good, efficient games this year where Derek Carr hasn't really given you much of anything. I mean, you're looking at a 261-2 and two, uh, against the, the Patriots in Week 3. You've got a 165-2 and two in a win over the Chargers in Week 9. I mean, he's he has a couple of games like that on his on his dock. Go back to Week 1, 239-1 and one in a 34-point game against the, the Panthers where Josh Jacobs ran for three touchdowns. That's the one thing that holds me back from him a little bit. But I will say that if you do go, if you are looking to those sub-6K guys, I think he has the highest ceiling of the bunch. I, I still wouldn't fully trust Jared Goff uh, going to Arizona. I still feel like there's a higher ceiling attached to Derek Carr. Cam Newton, no thanks. It's rushing or nothing, and I, I just don't want to be backing that. Matthew Stafford still dealing with the thumb. Uh, still a tough passing game matchup uh, going up against the Bears, even if Hakeem Hicks is out again. That really has more effect on the run game than it does on the pass game, so I really don't want to get uh, involved with Matthew Stafford. Really don't want any piece of Matt Ryan uh, without Julio Jones, and it's looking like that could be the case. Julio Jones missing practice again on Thursday, so that could be a concern. Uh, you know, you look up and down and it really does look like Derek Carr. The next guy who I would probably turn to would be you know, Mitch Trubisky at 5,400 or Baker Mayfield at 5,300. And I'm wondering if either of those guys are interesting enough to you uh, with the extreme savings to want to turn to. Same kind of thinking. I guess you do wonder about the ceiling, and that's why these guys are priced down where yeah. they are. So uh, Baker, I think, because of that setup for the game, is pretty interesting. It's amazing. He's only averaging 16.5 fantasy points per game, easily the lowest average of his career to this point. Uh, I think with Jarvis Landry stepping up in a big way last week, I'm a little more encouraged about Baker than I would have been going into that matchup against the Jags. What is the true ceiling? We saw five touchdown passes in Week 7 against the Bengals, and he hasn't topped two in any other game so far this season. I think this is... a the rare time where I'd consider it, kind of looking at the schedule for Mayfield. I like him against Tennessee this week, and I don't hate him in Week 16 against the Jets for the same reasons, but uh, I generally don't want to play Baker Mayfield <laughs> unless I absolutely have to, and I don't feel like I have to. Mm -hmm. uh, what about the other quarterback in the Packers-Eagles matchup? No, if thank Carson you. Wentz, no, thank well, you. <laughs> it looks so bad, but he's going to get Zach Ertz back potentially. That changes some things with this offense, and... He's getting it done on the ground. Five rushing TDs in 11 games is really fluky. It's hard to bank on that each and every week. But 258 rushing yards, uh, it's playing from behind often. That could easily be the script against the Packers, so the attempt should be there. I'm just thinking, again, big field tournaments, players that no one likes right now. <laughs> What could go right? Mm -hmm. His ceiling is actually higher than Derek Carr's, even though his floor is considerably lower. There is more risk here, to be absolutely yeah. clear. And in that risk, you have the possibility of Jalen Hurts taking on a larger role at some point. But um, I do think if I'm playing a you know $3 mass entry tournament, I might have to throw one Eagles stack out there this week. And 
cross my fingers that they can find a way to get it done. They've just looked so bad on offense. And I mean, oh, your logic is totally sound, obviously, in the the knowing what the ceiling can be and pivoting away and going to someone who people aren't liking. I mean, that's all sound logic, but they've just been so bad offensively. You know, he doesn't have a game with more than two touchdowns this season. Not one game with more than two touchdowns. He has one 300-yard game, his next highest uh, yardage output behind that 359-yarder he had against the Giants uh, was 258 yards against the Steelers in a game that the Steelers were controlling throughout. I mean, this is just, it's been such a bad offense all season, and I know they've had more than their fair share of injuries, but I just don't want to get involved with them whatsoever. So sorry, (laughs) but I'm I'm staying away. I'm staying away from these guys. Ugly, 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 ugly stack for a big field tournament. That's the only way I would do it, but I'm not writing it off completely. You know where I would get involved with the Eagles is at the tight end position. I mean, I think that that's really where this team is interesting. I love Dallas Goddard. I still love Dallas Goddard here uh, this week. He's my default tight end. I think he's still someone who you can count on with Zach Ertz back in. We talked about this on Fantasy Football in 15 on uh, Thursday's episode. And, you know, Dallas Goddard comes in at $4,300. I think he's the best uh, pass catching weapon on the team right now so I feel very good about him do you feel good about Ertz at $3,900 yeah I mean in the tournament vein I do now we don't know what the volume is going to be but if we just give Richard Rodgers targets to Mm -hmm. Ertz his first game back you're looking at five or six Uh, if he gets typical Ertz usage then maybe it's eight plus but I'm going in at 3,900 expecting five to six targets and I'm just hoping that one or two of them comes in the red zone. I think he would fit within a Carson Wentz stack, um, and that's about the extent to which I'm actually throwing Zach Ertz out there this week because even though we expect him to run a lot of 12 and get both of those tight ends on the field together, I think you're right that until we see Ertz back at 100%, Goddard has to be treated as the number one tight end, which effectively is the number one pass catcher in the Eagles offense right now. Who do you look to if uh, if Ertz is the guy who you're looking to in tournaments? Who you're looking to as a cash game stable? I do think you could go Goddard in cash, no problem with that at all. I think the other interesting wrinkle as a result of the Houston situation that we touched on earlier is Jordan Aikens. You know, mm-hmm. all of Will Fuller's targets can't go to Brandon Cooks. We do see Aikens occasionally get a little more involved in this Houston offense week to week. He's been difficult to predict. I mean, you see a six-target game and a seven-target game in there, but those were separated by about eight weeks in between. You get the Ravens game in week two where he's targeted seven times and the Patriots game in week 11 where he was targeted six times against the Lions on Thanksgiving, two targets, didn't catch a pass. So it's pretty scary, but I do think for a sub-3K tight end, you could sort of punt at the position, Hope he kind of falls more into that four to five range. If he pulls in a TD, you're going to be really happy at that price. And I think that's one of the keys to opening up that extra cash you need. You know, if you're paying up for Delvin Cook and you're not going cheap at quarterback, you're going to have a hole somewhere in your lineup, and tight end is probably the best place to take on that risk. And if you are looking for a silver lining with that two-target game that Aikens had against the Lions on Thanksgiving, both of those targets were end zone targets, and he nearly came down with both of them. Yeah, One of them was just a straight drop. One of them was a pass where Watson just barely missed him. Catchable ball, but would have been a nice catch. Both both in the end zone. So he was that close to having a two-touchdown game, even though it was just a two-target game. So 
that's definitely a silver lining going forward for Jordan Akins, and I agree with you. A nice guy to, to pivot to if you're going to go really cheap at this position. And speaking of really cheap, let's wrap things up with the defensive spot. I like what you've got here, the Cleveland Browns, 2.5K, even though it's a high-scoring game. That doesn't mean you should be staying away from the defenses. Right. I mean, if Ryan Tannehill attempts 35 passes, there's opportunities for sacks, there's opportunities for picks. Uh, we've seen the Browns put up, I think, three double-digit fantasy point performances so far this season. It's all about saving money. This is the other spot where I'm willing to go a little bit weaker, so to speak, in my lineup. And I think the price is absolutely right on the Browns this week. 2500 Look, you want a cheap team that gets pressure. Mm-hmm. The Browns do that. So that ticks enough boxes for me. I'm with you there, and they get Miles Garrett back. He has missed two games after being on the COVID list, but he will be back for the Browns this week against the Titans. I'll throw one more defense out before we get out of here. How about the Falcons? I mean, I just really think that a professional defense getting to see a quarterback like Taysom Hill two times in three weeks is going to be good, and this Falcons defense has looked a little bit better of late. I mean, we talked about thinking that the Raiders were going to be able to you know, pass and run all over them, and they totally shut the Raiders' defense down. They made the Raiders look bad, frankly, last week, and I think that uh, with the way that they have played of late, with the fact that they just saw Taysom Hill, that they can have themselves a nice day, just $2,400 also. So a good place to spend, a good place to save, a nice way to save, and a nice way to maybe play against some of the Taysom backers uh, that are out there. We're definitely happy that you're backers of us and listening here, and we're definitely happy that Derek Van Riper has been here to share with us some DFS wisdom for Week 13. DVR, good luck this weekend. Yeah, good luck to you guys. We move things along now to the against the spread pick portion of the show. And to do that, we bring on Vic Tafer. Vic, of course, covers the Las Vegas Raiders for us here at The Athletic. You can also catch Vic's picks every single week where he basically does what we're about to do in written form. We bring it to you right now in podcast form. Vic, how you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. Yeah, I bet you're doing good. Coming off a four and one week, that was a, a huge one for you. When I was going through um, our our sheet from a week ago and updating everything for this week, I was it was it was the first four that were listed. I was like, oh, one and oh, two and oh, three and oh. I started getting excited for you. Uh, the four wins were Buffalo, Miami, New Orleans, and Seattle. The one loss you took was on the Rams. They actually lost straight up as favorites to the 49ers. Um, I, on the other hand. One and four, an ugly week for me. I was with you on Buffalo, so we uh, upped our consensus record to six and seven. I had losses on Cleveland, the Giants, Pittsburgh, and Kansas City. So, well, first, four and one. How does it feel, man, to be uh, coming uh, on a hot streak? You were, what, four and one or three and two the week before that, too? So things are starting to turn around a little bit. Yeah, I have a little pride. Who would have thought? I have a little pride <laughs> trying to come back from uh, the pits of, uh, of hell. But, uh, yeah, all of a sudden, I'm, what, four Four games behind you, so I'm trying to catch up to you. Yeah, it's been a brutal stretch for me here. And uh, let me just say, uh, you know, games happen the way they happen. I've been on the right side of some things that probably shouldn't have gone my way. But last week, it was just punch after punch. Uh, The Browns were covering their spread the whole way. Then they get that fourth down roughing the passer. The Jaguars end up punching in a touchdown, lose the cover there. The Giants covering their spread the whole way. They get a pretty soft uh, um, uh, pass interference call on Tyler Boyd in the end zone, setting the Bengals up with first and goal from the one. Bengals punch that in. Giants lose the cover right there. The Chiefs covering their three and a half basically the whole way. Buccaneers rally back in the second half, lose that one by a hook. I mean, I was that close to joining you in the 4-1 and club a week ago. It didn't happen, unfortunately. That's just the way this goes, right? Just got to take your licks when they come, so... 
I'll try not. Uh, that was it. I just I, I told you before we started. I needed I needed a, like that minute right there just to no, say my good. piece. Take it. Right. Take it was key. Those are yeah. key moments. You got know, to try to rebound <laughs> and kind of uh, have some you know some confidence left over from a, a bad week. Yeah, you got to just spill it out. Be done with it. And hey, we can turn it forward with a positive note. We hit our combined um uh upset pick. We both said Titans over Colts. In a uh, as a straight up winner, and they did indeed win that game very easily, taking the lead in the AFC South. Uh, you mentioned you are now four games behind me, 26 33 and one. I fell to 30 29 and one. Our consensus record, though, up to six and seven, so feeling good about that. Let's spin things forward now to Sunday again. These lines, courtesy of the consensus over at Vegas Insider. First game on the board is one where we indeed have a pick. It was hard for me to decide what I was going to go with my fifth pick, and this is ultimately what it was. Bears minus three at home against the Lions. I'm going back to the well here, Vic. I am picking the Chicago Bears to cover the three against the Lions. What I lean on here is that even without Akeem Hicks, and he is not practicing again for the Bears so well, looking as though he might not play, but even without him, the best unit on the field when the Bears and Lions get together is unquestionably the Bears defense. And it looks like Kenny Galladay is going to have to miss another game because of a hip injury. DeAndre Swift is out of concussion protocol. Did miss Thursday's practice with an illness, but would bet on him being out there. Uh, But still, with Matthew Stafford still not quite at 100%, Bears defense, I think, should be able to control this game. And Mitch Trubisky, it wasn't the best game from him a week ago against the Packers. Uh, But even before that game got out of hand, you saw him make... A couple of impressive throws. The Bears had to settle for a field goal after getting into the red zone on their first possession. Then after one of those impressive throws, he reverted to old Mitch and threw an interception. And then they marched downfield again on their third possession uh, before having uh, to give it up once again. So there were th- that was game was very close to, still being close at least, through the first half. The Packers were going to win that game always. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. But the Bears didn't play as poorly as the halftime score would suggest. And, you know, I think we can give even someone like Mitch Trubisky a little bit of the benefit of the doubt for shaking off the rust against a very good team after not starting for, you know, basically two months. Uh, So I think that the Bears, with their defense, with Mitch having that start under his belt, should be able to protect home field and get a win against the Lions team that, even though they maybe get a little bit of a bump after letting Matt Patricia go, really are just playing out the string at this point. Where are you at on this game? Yeah, I hear you with the Bears defense, and there's definitely some value there. I think, though, the uh, new coaches have done pretty well this year in their first week out. They I have. Think, I think Patricia leaving, that's just a huge dark cloud. It's got to have some kind of positive effects to that team. So I might lean the other way, but I definitely agree with you. The Bears defense is the one legitimately good unit on, on the field. You see Kenny Galladay uh, liked the post on Instagram from the Lions when the Lions you know, said made the post about letting Patricia go. It got a like from Kenny Galladay. Well, so, when I uh, asked Stafford after the game what his thoughts were, and he was like, yeah, I got no comment. So I mean, that, was, that, was, that was a kiss of death. And I asked him, hey, should Patricia still be the guy here? He's like, I got nothing, I got nothing to say. So now I think he was fired the next day. So I think that was definitely the last straw. And, I mean, it's amazing he lasted this long. Just to look at the week-by-week mm-hmm. week blows that he's dealt with, just the decision-making and, yep. and players don't like him very much. Just, uh, just a complete disaster of a hire. And 
easy to forget that there was a nine and seven team that he inherited. It wasn't like this was some total like three and thirteen year after year after year squad that he was inheriting from Jim Caldwell. They went nine and seven Caldwell's last year, so uh, long overdue. But Matt Patricia now gone. I still like the Bears to cover in the first game of the Daryl Bevel interim coach era. Next game up, Dolphins minus eleven and a half at home against the Cincinnati Bengals. This game brings with it an over under of forty two and a half, and you. Have a pick on this game. Not afraid of that big number. You are backing the Miami Dolphins. It is a big number. Um, in your opening rant about the Giants pick last week, I agree with you because um, Brandon Allen, the quarterback for the Bengals, is really, really bad. I mean, there's, there's some bad quarterbacks who've come in this this year in the NFL, but he's one of the worst. And he should have had four picks in that game. I think only had one, got lucky in the other one. So I'm, I think the Dolphins have a good defense. They should. They, I, don't, I don't see them looking past the Bengals here. I think they're a young team on the rise. So. I think the quarterback play gives me a big edge there. No matter who plays for the Dolphins, there's a huge edge of quarterback in, in that game. That's exactly where I was going. You feel fits too. It really doesn't make a difference. You're totally fine back in the Dolphins, whoever it is. Yeah, I think Allen's that bad. I watched a little bit more of that game than anyone probably should. And Allen, <laughs> Allen, Allen's terrible. I mean, he really is bad. So I think that um, yeah. the Dolphins have a good, good cornerbacks. They have a nice blitz scheme. So I think it should be a long day for him, Mr. Allen. Yeah, no surprise either. I mean, that was something we saw in his three starts with the Broncos last season, carrying that right over to Cincinnati. So one pick a piece for both of us. Next game, we uh, neither of us have a pick. Colts minus three and a half at the Texans. 51 is the over-under. This was one, Vic, when I first saw the matchup last week uh, after the week ended. I thought that I was going to be all over this. Then we heard about the Will Fuller suspension, and that pulled me off of Houston. I don't think that Will Fuller's uh, being out necessarily moved this line too much, but that is just a huge weapon for Houston to lose, and that really is what made me want to back off of it. So we can skip right past that and go on to our next game. Vikings are minus 10 at home this week. They are taking on the Jaguars. 52 is the over-under, and Vic, here you are again, not afraid of the big spreads, backing the Vikings. You've been attacking the Jaguars of late, and again, uh, like the Vikings here to cover this 10-point spread. Yeah, I thought the Vikings should have covered last week. They had uh, not one but two fumble returns against them for touchdowns. That's pretty amazing. I think um, mm-hmm. I think they're playing better as the year goes on. And like you mentioned, the Jags are, are terrible. So I think the <laughs> Vikings definitely can run the ball all day and keep that score at a nice, comfortable margin. Yeah, Vikings uh, all of a sudden back in the playoff hunt too, sitting at 5-6. and six. Uh, They could definitely play their way into the postseason with that extra playoff spot now alive this year. And uh, that's the way I would lean in this one too. Not going to pick it. I'm a little afraid of what the Vikings floor has been that we have seen. And if this were Gardner Minshew getting the start for Jacksonville, I would be uh, inclined to go with the Jaguars as one of my five picks, but I just can't get behind Mike Lennon, and I especially can't get behind a team that is basically telling us. I mean, there's no argument for starting Gardner or starting Mike Lennon over a healthy Gardner Minshew, and there's no practice, there's no injury report for Gardner Minshew. He's healthy, he's good to go. Doctors have cleared him uh, after he has missed about a month with that thumb injury. So the Jaguars are basically telling us. We want to still take a shot at Trevor Lawrence. We know we're a game behind the Jets in the Trevor Lawrence Derby, but we want to keep ourselves alive in that. And if we don't get him, you know, we'll fall back to Justin Fields or someone else. But they want to be in that Trevor Lawrence race, and that's what they're telling us by starting Mike Glennon over Gardner Minshew, at least that is my opinion. Uh, next game up, uh, well, let's – yeah, you know what? Let's just go with the next one I've got listed because I actually have something I want to say about Saints and Falcons. Uh, next game, Raiders minus eight 
at the Jets. Another lot of traveling for the Raiders, as you know very well. 47 here is the over-under in this game, but we're both going to go ahead and uh, lay the wood on the Raiders at minus eight. Uh, you obviously very close to this team, so I will let you take the mic here and tell us why this is a good bet to make. Well, my pick is more anti-Jets than it is pro-Raiders. I mean, the Raiders kind of fooled me last week. They all told me they were upset about the loss of the Chiefs. Not sad. They weren't going to, like, dwell on it. They're going to be out and fired up. And obviously that wasn't the case. The Falcons gave it to them pretty good. So I think this is a pure spot of looking at the talent in the field. The Jets, I think, have lost. Uh, I look it up. Uh, when they played winning teams with winning records, they've lost by an average margin of 19 points this year. And the Raiders, I think, are still a good team, even though they slipped up last week. So... I think they should be able to run the ball, should be able to pass the ball, and even get some pressure on on Sam Darnold. So I think it's an easy win for the Raiders on Sunday. I mean, I I, I still keep going into weeks wanting to find ways uh, to to take the Jets, but I mean, they're terrible. Every single week is terrible. They've they've lost two games this year by one score. One was to the Patriots, thirty to twenty seven. Then the the Chargers the very next week, thirty four to twenty eight. A game they rallied back and actually made respectable. But other than that, they've lost every single game by more than two by more than one score. They've lost many games by uh, more than two scores. They're just a really truly awful team and a team that is setting itself up to actually get Trevor Lawrence. And I think this is a great bounce back spot for the Raiders. I mean, say what you will about the loss to Atlanta. I th- it feels anomalous. I mean, this is a team that beat the Chiefs once, hung very tough with them in the second game, beat the Saints. This is a good. Raiders team is certainly a good enough team to handle its business against the worst team in the NFL. So I am comfortable laying the eight and taking the Raiders. Uh, one more game in the or two more games in the in the early window. One more that we're not taking. One more that neither of us has a pick on. It is the Saints minus three at the Falcons. Forty six is the over under. Vic, I was very close. This is my sixth pick, and it was going to be on the Falcons. I just with the way that this defense has played a lot better of late, and I think that this defense getting to see Taysom Hill for the second time in three weeks, I think that things uh, could be a lot different than they were the first time. And it's not as though things were gangbusters for the Saints offense the first time around. Last week was basically uh, a, a nothing of a game for the Saints against the Broncos. And I think that this could be a very different look for this entire offense going up against a defense that is very familiar with what they're going to throw at it this week. And if they don't get Alvin Kamara involved as a receiver, which they have not done in either of Taysom Hill's starts, I think the Saints offense might have a tough time in this one. So it just barely missed the cut for me, but I do like the Falcons here. What's your lean on this game, even though neither of us is putting it in our five? Yeah, I'm with you. I think I like the Falcons a lot too, for those reasons you mentioned. I think um, I think probably my seventh pick, if I had to rank them, they were pretty close to the top five, but not quite there. But yeah, I like the Falcons a lot in this game. I think they're, not, they're a little underrated. I think the, you know, they mentioned that loss to the Saints two weeks ago, but I'm sure going against Taysom Hill a second time in three weeks is probably an edge. So I, I like them a lot in this spot too. Yeah, I think it's got to be, and just uh, they really got to get the Saints. Really have to get Alvin Kamara more involved as a receiver. Such a dynamic part of their offense. I don't care who your quarterback is. It is not good to give Alvin Kamara two targets across two games. So that is not something that you want. Last game in the early window: Titans five and a half point favorites at home against the Browns. Fifty three and a half over under. This is a huge game in the AFC. Both of these teams appear headed to the postseason, but Browns unlikely to win their division. Titans certainly could fall back and not win the division with the Colts just one game behind them, so this could be a tiebreaker game of sorts. Uh, both these teams coming into it at 8-3. and three. We both like the road dogs in the Cleveland Browns. Getting that 5.5, and a half, 
I think the Titans win this game, but this just feels like a little bit too big of a number for me for a Cleveland team. I know I keep saying it week after week, but I'm going to say it again here. A Cleveland team that knows exactly what it wants to do on offense and more often than not has been able to do it. And let's put some respect on Nick Chubb's name. All this guy, go please, go look at Nick Chubb's game logs. Ever since he took over as the starter about halfway through his rookie year in 2018. And look at what this guy does every single week. This is a throwback style of player. If Nick Chubb played in the 90s, we would be talking about him contending for MVP awards. Nick Chubb just drives the Cleveland offense. And I don't I don't think that Tennessee is going to be able to run away to a point where they make Nick Chubb irrelevant. I think Cleveland keeps this game close. I think it's a fun back-and-forth game. Has the highest over-under on the board, actually, this week at that 53-and-a-half. And I think that this one does indeed stay within a touchdown going back and forth. I think the Browns have a chance to pull the upset. I'm not calling that, but I definitely think they keep it close. Uh, why are you on the Browns? Yeah, I think um, for me, um, a lot of the reasons you said also, I think the Titans are coming off you know huge emotional wins against the Ravens mm-hmm. and the Colts. I'm not going to say it'll be a total letdown, but they can't be as up for this game as they were for those last two. I think you mentioned the Browns' offense has been uh, very consistent as far as the running game goes. And they get Miles Garrett back this week. That's a big deal. Miles Garrett's one of the better defensive players in the league. So I think it's a good spot for the Browns. I think I did pick them to win outright. I think that's my upset pick, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, we're definitely both on too. the same page. <laughs> yeah, they uh, and uh, you mentioned Miles Garrett coming back for them. Taylor DeWan obviously still out. And the Titans have adjusted to that, but – uh, still, they haven't necessarily faced a guy quite like Miles Garrett who can uh, bring that speed off the edge. So that could be a unique challenge for the Titans as well. Let's move things over into the late window. There's just one pick for us here, and it's your fifth pick already. So I'm just going to list the uh, three games in the late window where ne- neither of us has a pick. Uh, first, Seahawks minus 10. At home against the Giants, 46.5 is the over-under there. Chargers are pick against the Patriots at home, 47.5 is the over-under there. Then the big one in the late window, Rams minus 3 at Arizona, 48.5. Uh, no pick for either of us, but an interesting game. What was your lean on this game? What was the pick in Vic's picks where you do pick all games? Oh, the Cardinals only because I thought the line was a little off. I know I understand why it's off because obviously Kyler Murray's been kind of banged up with his shoulders, not running as much as he has been. But I still think that's not a great line. So I was going for the line value to the Cardinals at home. Yeah, I'm with you there too. I, I almost made it. I, I considered it as part of my uh, package of five picks here. I, it does feel a little bit off. It feels like a little overinflated or just maybe a little down on the Cardinals given the way that they've played the last couple of weeks. But a lot of that's got to do with Kyler's shoulder injury and the fact that it hasn't cost him any time. Got to feel like he is getting healthier and healthier as the days go on. The reason why I stayed away from it is that if you drew up a defense that could really disrupt Kyler Murray, even when he's healthy, it would look an awful lot like the Rams defense. It would certainly include someone like Aaron Donald, someone who can get pressure up the middle. And we've seen teams uh, start to contain him, start to basically force him to beat them uh, with his arm and not with his legs. And this is the sort of team I think that is equipped to do that and contain Kyler Murray. So that is the reason why I backed off it. I still lean Cardinals, but not enough to make it one of my five picks. The last game in the late window on Sunday is one where both of us have a pick and we're actually, actually going... Head-to-head in this one, Vic. Packers minus 8.5 at home against the Eagles. 46.5 is the over-under. I am on the favorite. The Packers, you are on the dog. The Eagles, I will let you take this one first. Why do you like the Eagles in this one? Because I'm a sick puppy. I mean, I don't know why. (laughs) I mean, uh, the Eagles obviously have been very disappointing. And Carson Wentz, 
I just can't. I still can't get over how bad he's been. Uh, how huge yes. the drop off has been. But I did see some signs of life in the defense last week. I think there is some talent in that team still. I still think the Packers are a little overrated. I mean, obviously they're a good team, but I thought the number was a little big. I thought the Pack the Eagles going to hang tough, and I think the defense should be able to keep that game close. I think. And Carson Wentz may get lucky. He throws the ball around so much and. Don't know where it's going, but if you get lucky twice, <laughs> hit someone deep, and you got you're in business. So I think it'll be a close game. Yeah, you know, I, I'm just I, I just don't have any fear of that uh, of that Philadelphia offense, and that's what it comes down to for me. I don't think that I agree with you that this Philadelphia defense has shown some signs of life. They did a pretty good job keeping Seattle in check, even though it was a game that Seattle basically controlled. I mean, take that Hail Mary out of the equation late. That was a, a two score game for you know the balance of the game, and Seattle never really felt like they were challenged in it, but the the defense did its job. I mean, you hold Russell Wilson and the Seahawks to 23 points, you can't be upset with the defense, with the way the defense played. So I, I will give them credit for that, but I just, we, we've seen nothing. We have seen absolutely nothing from this Eagles offense really all season. And I know they've had their injuries, right? Dallas Goddard has missed time. Zach Gertz has missed time. Miles Sanders has missed time. Jalen Rager has missed time. I mean, basically everyone who they would count on at some point has missed multiple games. And you know, it's not easy for any team. They also have had plenty of offensive line injuries. They are getting a little healthier in the skill positions with Zach Ertz being activated this week. We know Miles Sanders came back a couple of weeks ago. Same goes for Dallas Goddard. And he has looked quite good over the last couple of weeks, but still, it's like a bunch of mismatched pieces. They just can't put everything together, and the drop-off in Carson Wentz's play, injuries or no, has been significant. Meanwhile, on the other side, you just have the most disrespected 9-2 and team I feel like that's ever existed. I mean, the Packers are 8-3. and The Packers just keep rolling. They keep putting up points after points after points, and they, too, have had some injuries. They now are this fully-formed team, uh, really for the first time all season. Uh, Devontae Adams missed time early, then Alan Lazard went out the core muscle injury. They really didn't develop Robert Tunyon until about week five, week six. And we know what Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams can be in the backfield. We're seeing this offense, after having played very well early in the season, finally get all of its parts back together too. So for me, this is just a case of the very clearly better team getting a fair line. I don't think this is, you know, a small or an unfair line. I don't think this should be, you know, 10 or 10 and a half or anything like that. I think eight and a half is a fair number, but I just am very comfortable betting on the obvious better team, the obvious better quarterback playing at home. Everything for me lines up for a uh, Packers blowout victory. So I will take the Packers back doors open on the eight and a half. You can run on their defense, but I think the Packers are the way to go here. Um, let's move on to our night games. We actually have four different primetime evening-ish games this week. Sunday night is Chiefs and Broncos. The Chiefs are favored by 14. Over-under is 51. Neither of us is picking that. I'll jump ahead to Tuesday where we have Ravens and Cowboys. No line yet because of all the uncertainty with the Ravens. Neither of us picking that game. Monday night starts off with the Steelers against the Washington footballs. Steelers are 8.5 point favorites. 44 is the over-under there. No line on that game. Or no pick on that game, excuse me. And then finally, the originally scheduled Monday night game is Bills at 49ers. Bills are one and a half point favorites. 48 is the over-under. I do have a pick on this game. I'm going to hold it close to the vest for a second. I want to know, even though you don't have a pick, what's your lean in Bills-Niners? 
I went with the Bills. I think they're the better team. I think the Niners, I think they're getting a little too much credit. I mean, obviously, that was a nice win for them, but I'm not sure they're all the way back quite yet. And I think also people forget this game is not at home. It's, they're playing in Arizona, so I think it's also right. a small factor. So I think, the, I think Josh Allen's matured over the years. I think they've gotten better as years gone. Our defense has gotten a little better. So I just, for me, it was a case of the better team. All right, Vic, you are a very smart man because that is exactly where I am going for my fifth and final pick. Give me the Buffalo Bills minus one and a half. Uh, all the credit in the world to Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers for what they were able to do last week, beating a very good Rams team with a whole lot to play for, uh, a defense that can really cause a lot of teams uh, trouble. And you know, the, we saw basically uh, the 49ers um, not in full bloom, but in what they want to do, getting the ball into Raheem Mostert's hand 16 times, getting Debo Samuel involved in interesting ways, ultimately ending up with 11 catches for 113 yards. Uh, but I, I just think that it was almost a smoke and mirrors type of game for the 49ers. And uh, this Bills team is just built differently than what the Rams are. And I think that the Bills are just the different a different brand of offense to try and slow down with the way that they have played this season. And while it was nice for the 49ers to get Raheem Mostert back, wasn't very efficient, and efficiency has always been his calling card since he emerged for this team last season. 16 carries, 43 yards. Bill's defense is a lot easier to run on than the Rams is, but it wasn't necessarily the greatest performance that we saw from them. Nick Mullins is still going to be a, a big mark against what this 49ers team can do offensively, really a hindrance on what they want to do. So um, I like the Bills. Uh, this is a spot where at one and a half, all you basically got to do is win to cover. And in those instances, I feel comfortable trusting uh, a team when we know they have A, the better quarterback pretty comfortably, and B, just the better team overall. So I will round things out with the Buffalo Bills. Your five picks to wrap things up here. You've got the Dolphins. They are 11.5 point favorites at home against the Bengals. The Vikings, 10 point favorites at home against the Jaguars. The Raiders, 8 point favorites in New York or New Jersey to take on the Jets. The Browns, 5.5 point dogs in Nashville taking on the Titans and the Eagles, 8.5 point underdogs in Green Bay taking on the Packers. I've got the Bears, three-point favorites at home against the Lions, joining you on the Raiders. I am also joining you on the Browns, going heads up with you on the Packers-Eagles game and rounding things out with the Bills, one-and-a-half-point favorites in Arizona, taking on the San Francisco 49ers. Finally, our upset picks. You already said yours, but Browns over Titans? Uh, just give us a little recap. Why do you like the Browns to not just stay within five-and-a-half, but win this one outright? I think their offense will run the ball against the Titans. I think Miles Garrett is a big uh, big addition back on defense. I think it's not a great spot for the Titans. All fair things, which is part of the reason why I am going five, why I'm joining you on that five and a half point train. I will take the Falcons for the reasons that I said I almost picked them as one of my five. I think that if they make New Orleans have to change their offense on the fly that they're not necessarily ready to do that. And do they turn to Jameis Winston? If that happens to me, I realize I am assuming I'm right and jumping leaps and bounds ahead of where we are as we record this episode. But do they have to? Can they do that on the fly? It just feels like the sort of game where things could get away from the Saints, where they've strayed a little bit too much from what their actual strengths are, and they are maybe a little bit drunk on the fact that they played you know, a fine but not great Falcons team and sprung Taysom Hill on them a week, two weeks ago, and then a Broncos team that was, you know, basically just making sure no one got hurt, and then they got out of there. So I think things could look very different 
for the Saints this week against the Falcons. We know this show looks different every week, and we are happy that you tune in with us every single week. We're going to call that an episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast and the Athletic Football Show. If you are not yet an Athletic subscriber, today is the last day. Get in theathletic.com slash fantasyfootballpod. Get yourself a $1 per month subscription before that deal goes away. For Derek Van Riper and Vic Tafer, I am Michael Beller. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, thanks for listening and enjoy all of the Week 13 action. This was The Athletic Football Show.